Hi, I'm Colleen Brennan. And I'm Janice Rodriguez. And this is Defending Indiana. In our first episode, Examining Human Rights in Indiana, we discuss the history and politics of LGBTQ rights with State Senator J.D. Ford. Hey, Janice. Hey, Colleen. So um, we're here today to have another one of those episodes where we have to work really hard to try to defend <laughs> Indiana. It's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're we're biting off a lot today. Yeah, yeah. It's got some subjects, got some recent stuff that's happened. So yeah, and it kind of all ties together. Just the overall way people view how Indiana handles human rights. Right. And in particular, we're going to discuss LGBTQ plus rights and kind of dive into the history and and, and why um, people think that Indiana is a backwater when it comes to rights. Correct? Yeah. I mean... Again, all of our scientific research of just asking people we know. Our deep, deep dive. Right. Totally our, scientific. Our crowd surveys, right. deep dive survey. Where on Facebook, right. A significant number, more than more than a third, right? Right. Uh put down when they think of when they think of Indiana, what do they think of? And they they put in anti-gay. Right. Mm-hmm. So and you and I were like, is it? I don't know. And I think we've kind of come to a point where like, we don't know. Yeah. So hopefully our guest today will help us clear up um, any confusion we have mm-hmm. about um, defending Indiana when it comes to this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we hope so. But I mean, the, it's, it's out there. I mean, I'm follow the human rights campaign and they listed Indiana as one of their 22 States um, that basically as it's a high priority to achieve basic equality. So it's like not there. So who do we share that illustrious status with? Today? Exactly. What are the other States? There were 22. Um, I don't have them, but um you want to guess? <laughs> no, I really, because I, I don't want to be insulted. I, I wonder for like one of the what few Northern. I, yeah. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? See, and I, I start I, throwing I things know. out and I just sound Let's like see. a jackass, which is like what we're trying to stop to people do. from doing. Right. Yeah. State scorecard. Well, basically the HRC human rights campaign does these like state equality indexes. So the last year would have been 2021. Okay. Um, I'm just going through order. Alabama's on the list. Okay. Arizona. Okay. Arkansas. Okay. I'm going to keep going. Are there any like down lower in the alphabet? Yeah, right. Above, I can go by. Between A and T? Let's see. Let's see. Uh, George is on the list. I can't believe Indiana's on. I can't. Wow. Really? Are there any other northern Kentucky? states? Kentucky. Louisiana. I mean, where that seem to be the northernest? Is that a word? The northernmost. It is now. Northernest. You uttered most it. Northern. Most northern. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not good. It's 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 not good. We basically like if you go to the hrc.org and look up Indiana, we're like you're supposed to get a blue check mark. We don't have any because the because if you really look at the bills, like yes, there's some good things. Like if you're trans, you are allowed you can change your birth certificate. There's certain things like that, but there's still no over comprehensive thing for housing. Okay. It's still not illegal on the state level to discriminate against LGBTQ people for like kind of for that reason in like work and like a lot of things. And I think people, you know, like the state kind of just passes the buck to the local air, the local, you know, municipalities and some cities have really stepped up. I was very happy to see my hometown um, is one of the, cities listed that have passed their own go Hammond. um go hammond um i didn't see michigan city it doesn't mean it didn't happen i just can't research fast enough but um but yeah 
So, and some people I know, like I've seen where they're just like, we don't really need to do this. We don't need to do an equal rights amendment thing for our town. And everyone's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> Actually, why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want to tell your constituency, everybody in this town, hey, you guys are all the same. You guys all yeah. have the same rights. Yeah. Um, so I y'all mean, deserve y'all de- y'all deserve a good road. Exactly. Y'all deserve the police to show up at your door. Door, regardless well. of Treat yeah. <laughs> y'all deserve a fire truck when your house is on right. fire. And hey, you also all have the right to walk into a business and not be treated exactly. Like yeah, okay. I mean, really, like it's 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 not good. I mean, as far as housing, public accommodations, transgender healthcare, even anti-conversion therapy. Employment, hate crimes, and education, like Indiana's, particularly towards LGBTQ, is very bad. <laughs> okay. Well, there we have it. <laughs> there we have it. This is, this is not, I'm not laughing. This is, this is my uncomfortable, like, oh, no. I, oh, no. I was hoping, really, I'm, I'm hoping to disprove that. Um, because, like we, you said, we want to believe, like, the way we grew up. I grew up with all different kinds of people, all different races, all different ethnicities, uh, sexualities maybe not i didn't know then but you know found out later kind of knew but you know didn't know yeah. and yeah. i don't know i never felt like it was um i don't know i just never felt like it was a big deal i just felt like we were all cool with everybody and i, I hate to see that that's not yeah. were we cool or is that just my lala no I think, glasses? I think you're 10 years younger than me so yeah. you know my um, look at me yeah i am yeah just <laughs> so what do you so I always bring that up i'm 12 exactly yeah um so now I'm going to embrace my age of mm-hmm. 43. No, it's not. Yeah, actually. Do it. So, um, lying again. Um, yeah, I don't know how we got here. I, I don't think growing up, um, that people were very open, um, to LGBTQ at all. Mm. Um, and I think it was the eighties. And I think if you watch any John Hughes film or really any teen or, you know, I just don't think it was, um, I don't think it was widely accepted. Um, that didn't mean that we, you know, if somebody had told me, you know, and I was pretty sure I had friends who were, and they were, um, I would have been, I would have supported you. Right. I was supported a hundred percent. And I'm pretty sure most of, you know, like the parents and the families would have supported them too. I'm guessing because I know these people and they're all wonderful. Anyway, one of the questions I just, you know, kind of want to clear up is, is like, how did Indiana get here? Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information that we researched for this and that, and stuff that I found about the state and, you know, what it, what it's been like politically for the past 60 years. And it just always seemed like a middle place, like, like not radical in either direction. And and that's been the consistent theme through a lot of what we've discussed is that, you know, for better or worse, Indiana's always sort of been in the middle. They've kind of just represented the both sides kind of equally. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we thought. I always thought that it was kind of even. And then maybe the just where the population was would kind of tip the scales. But, um, you know, obviously when I lived out of state for a long time, that was when Pence was the governor and there was a lot of it just seemed like Indiana was in the news all the time about something. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't positive. No. And, and, and that was a time when my kids were, were younger and I was really busy just trying to survive and <laughs> perform and work and take care right. of my children and blah, blah, blah. So I wasn't honestly paying a lot of attention. You know, like you said, growing up, you know, I never, I don't, I, I never thought of Indiana as radical in one end or the other. Mm-hmm. I never thought of us as radical conservatives. I never thought of us as radical progressives. I, I just thought of Indiana as just sort of a place where people were were good and everybody tried to work together and sometimes we disagreed, you know, and it was gonna be okay. Yeah. That's kind of how I, that's kind of how I grew up. You know, people in Indiana are good. They're good people. Everybody takes care of each other. There might be some bad attitudes here or there, but in the end, we all come together. And, uh, right. you know, I was looking just because I was trying to figure out if like that was just uh, delusional. <laughs> <laughs> so I did well, a sometimes, bit. you know, you don't know. know. You're like, wait, is this my memory? This is my like, you know, yeah. rose colored glasses. Right. Um, so I just did a little bit of research to try to understand, you know, let's let's break it down to politics. Right. So like what happened politically over the past 60 years. Right. And so I. 
from 1960 to present time to support the idea that Indiana is a middle ground state, we've had five Democratic governors and five Republican governors in that 60-year period of time. Five and five. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. U.S. Senators from 1960 to present time, we've had four Democratic, six Republican. Okay. Okay. Of those senators that I've mentioned, or excuse me, of those of the Senate, you know, we've had two super notable senators from Indiana over Mm -hmm. the past 60 years. One is Dick Luger, Mm -hmm. who was sort of a a a giant in the US Senate, well respected (laughs) by everybody. Yeah. Well respected internationally. The guy, um, you know, he was he was a Republican. But he reached across the aisles and got things done with Democrats. Um, he was responsible and is well known for um, his work with the Nun Luger Act, where he worked to dismantle and eliminate weapons of mass destruction, mm. which was amazing. They had incredible success with what they were able to do. President Obama named him the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. You know, this was just a well-loved guy, regardless of political affiliation. And then the other guy was Birch Bayh, who was a Democratic senator. And he was the principal author of two amendments to the U.S. Constitution, the 25th Amendment, which passed in 1967, and updated the succession of the presidency and vice presidency and what happens when um, the president is, like, incapacitated. And then the 26th Amendment, which passed in 1971, he was largely responsible for, which um, lowered the voting age from 21 to 18, because these soldiers were going off and fighting in Vietnam, and it wasn't fair that they didn't have a say in who was sending them there. Right. He also was chiefly responsible for uh, the Title IX Amendment to the 1972 Education Act which is a big win for equality for women in athletics. So, um, so, you know, I'm kind of proud that our state had two really great senators mm-hmm. who tried to work with others and did good things for people. So I think that was, that's where my brain has been when I think of Indiana politically, it just doesn't feel like it matches up with what's going on today. Yeah. I would say that that's, that's very true. That's, and that's where the confusion is. Um, for me again, just thinking that we were a little more center, you know, even the Republicans were a little more center. So, you know, I'm excited to talk to our guests today to kind of find out. I don't, but I feel like that's going on with the whole country. It just seems yeah. vocal. Again, I'm calling them the vocal minority. Cause if you keep like looking at all these huge Pew research, it's like the numbers of, the people from America, their opinions don't seem to be reflected in what's happening now. It doesn't seem like the majority of Americans agree with banning abortion. The majority of Americans do agree on, you know, um, some sort of sensible gun control, including universal background checks, but that's not happening either. So I don't, I mean, I don't know where the disconnect is. I don't either. (laughs) I gotta get some tissue. I'm gonna start crying. I know. (laughs) I wish I had some answers. Uh, I have none of the answers. I'm just, just trying to, opinions, no answers. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to solve anything today. And, no. uh, but I do think we need to try to find out if there's anything we can defend. Yes. And I don't That's know. My goal. I want, I'm really hoping to, um, hear good news. Mm-hmm. Um, remind ourselves that what we thought we grew up with is really consistent with what's still out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. My sad face. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And just, I mean, will we ever, yeah, I I don't. And I hope, and I hope that maybe this wakes some people up about the importance. And I'm sure our guests will reiterate that of being conscious of who you are voting to state and local, you know, offices that these, people really have a, you know, influence on your daily life. And 
you know, just happened with the abortion bill. It's like, wait, what? When did this happen? And who's like, I, I would say that most Indianans, Indianans, Hoosiers, Hoosiers. Not, and even myself living in Illinois, not, do not know who their state senator is. And I think that person probably has a more direct effect. Um, obviously, you know, their mayor, town council from a really local, but like this whole thing, like this didn't go to referendum. This just became a law mm-hmm. kind of like while we were sleeping. Um, so I don't know, again, that that's not maybe not a fair characterization, but it feels that way. Right. And so yeah. it feels like you didn't know what was happening. And I, from what I'm reading, a lot of people are like, wait, I, we don't, I don't get to vote on that. I'm like, nope, sure don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I really wish we had recorded this episode before that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Cause it definitely, we want to give a lot of space today. I want to be sure yeah. to say this, whether this makes yeah. it a final edit that I want to give a lot of space to um, LGBTQ plus issues. That was yes. the original thing. Um, I see that it intersects with mm-hmm. abortion and human rights. And it, to me, it's all interrelated. So, mm-hmm. but I want to make sure I keep, give as much space as possible because I think this is the, the, a big either misconception or reality of Indiana that we just kind of keep sweeping under the rug. Yeah. And we need to understand it so that we Mm -hmm. can address it and not defend it if it's indefensible. Absolutely. Um, So this might be a good time to bring in our guests. So let's get ready for that. Our guest is the state senator representing Indiana's 29th district, which encompasses parts of Boone, Hamilton, and Marion counties. He earned his Bachelor of Science in Political Science and Criminal Justice from the University of Akron and earned a Master's of Science in Education with an emphasis on human services from Purdue University. He is the first member of the LGBTQ plus community ever elected to Indiana General Assembly and is proud to represent millennials across the state of Indiana. Please welcome J.D. Ford. Yay! Hi, welcome. Thank you We're so much for having We're delighted to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. So we want to know all about you first. So can okay. you give us a little bit about your background, where you're from, how you ended up being part of the Indiana State Legislature. Sure. Well, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat tonight. Um, as mentioned, I'm J.D. Ford, representing District 29 in the State Senate here in Indiana. Um, I originally grew up in Northeast Ohio uh, in a very kind of blue-collar area, but I went to school at the University of Akron, kind of fell in love with state government. I did an internship with an Ohio state senator um, in his uh, Columbus office and just had just an amazing experience. And um, my first job out of college was located in Indianapolis. And so I moved out here and, you know, just loved Indianapolis. Uh, It's just a great city, lots going on, uh, different neighborhoods uh, that you can kind of fall in love with. Um, Fountain Square, downtown, Mass Ave, all those places. Uh, if you say that to an Indian native, they will totally know what you're talking about. And then uh, when I was in college, I remember having a professor saying, either you participate in your government or your government will participate for you. And mm-hmm. I, I remember that very distinctly. And uh, I re- remember plugging my address into the, you know, find your legislator. Um, and found out that the guy that was representing me was someone who didn't share my values, didn't share my beliefs and followed him for a little bit and was just so appalled that, you know, he was representing the district. Um, And so I went to one of his town halls. I went to, uh, to see a state Senate session and just really was kind of shocked that, you know um, that he was saying things and, you know, anti-immigrant stuff, anti-LGBTQ stuff. And that just wasn't jiving with the district. And so I kind of fell into this role uh, more so of anger, um, but uh, happy to be in this role, happy to feel like I'm making a difference um, and really just thank the 30,000 folks that voted for me in the 2018 midterm elections. Hey, anger, anger is a great emotion, right? <laughs> anger <laughs> anger can drive it's, things forward. That's amazing. motivating. Yes, yeah. absolutely channeling anger. Um, okay. So, so, so now here you are a state Senator. So what, what's that process been like for you? Tell us a little bit about 
you know, running for office, um, you know, what your platforms were and, um, and what you've been doing for the, for the state since. Yeah. You know, so no one really kind of can prepare you to what it is like running for office. Um, but I, again, you know, looked around and I asked, I went to, you know, to some club meetings, to some city council meetings, and I asked some of the Democratic politicos, uh, who's running against this guy? Do we got someone? I'm, I'm ready to volunteer. I'm ready to knock doors. I'm ready to, let's go. Like, we can do this. And as I was having these conversations with, you know, community members, there just wasn't anybody who was really kind of willing to do that. And I get it, right? Because, you know, running for office, you know, you get thrown, you know, a bunch of crazy stuff at you and, you know, they dig stuff up on you and your family's involved. Um, uh, it takes a lot of money uh, to do that. Um, it takes a lot of name recognition, which I really didn't have that. Um, but, you know, someone had to do it because we could, we can't just let this go unchallenged, particularly in an urban suburban district, particularly after, you know, the, the election of the, you know, 45th president, um, you know, and so uh, there's just because I, my own neighbors were upset. Um, and so, you know, I decided to do it and uh, we knocked over 40,000 doors. You know, we uh, called 25,000 people. We sent 15,000 handwritten notes and about 5,000 text messages. But really it was a win because of so many people who had worked for me. I mean, I remember walking through our campaign office and seeing like people on the phones and just, you know, uh, grabbing packets and getting out there and driving people to the polls. And uh, I mean, it was just so humbling to see so many people, um, you know, working for you. And, and when they say it takes a village, it really does. I mean, it took so many people to get me across the finish line. So, um, and again, I've uh, been in office for four years. I have not taken it for granted. There are times I walk out of the state house and I just look up at the rotunda and just think to myself, like, I made it, you know, I'm, I'm doing it, you know, and um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got to this point. Awesome. All right. So one of the, you know, one of the reasons why we're so grateful that you're here talking to us today is because we are trying to understand how on earth um, Indiana has gained a reputation as a very unfriendly state to LGBTQ plus rights. <sighs> and if that perception is accurate, um, if it's not accurate, we're really just looking for somebody with your experience. And, and from what I understand, you did have some experience with, before you were senator um, yes. with advocating for rights um, for this community. So maybe give us a little bit of insight first into how you were involved in 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 fighting for rights for LGBTQ plus people. Sure. Um, yep, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, sh I should also say that um, I ran for office in 2014 um, and lost by 2000 votes in the same district against the same guy um, and then ran for office again in 2018 and then won by 7,000 votes, even though I lost by 2,000 votes. So I kind of made up that 5,000. I think the midterm election definitely helped, but I also think it was the fact that I had already been known in the district and people knew what I was, you know, um, fighting for. And I really just had a different vision from the guy that was currently in office, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, he was kind of uh, anti-LGBTQ. Um, you know, he would talk about how he had a gay brother, but but then he would say very disparaging things. And so it's just like the, the two didn't add up. Um, and so, so that was the 2014 uh, cycle I lost. Now the following year in 2015, we had the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, also known as RIFRA here in our state. Uh, and this was very damaging. I mean, I, I still think we are uh, reeling from, uh, you know, the negativity that came from that. Um, and what I mean by that is that, um, many people see us as a backward state or the Mississippi of the North, if you will, because of what happened with RIFRA. And essentially, it was uh, basically giving businesses a license to discriminate against LGBTQ Hoosiers. And it all kind of got set off um, when then-Governor Mike Pence 
uh, had a bunch of like, you know, religious people around him as he was doing the bill signing. It was in a very private closed door ceremony, although one picture did kind of leak out of there. And so as as state house Republicans and Mike Pence were saying, oh, this isn't about religion, you know, it totally was. I mean, why would you invite all these religious folks to huddle around you as you sign this bill? Uh, then he goes on to George Stephanopoulos' program on Sunday morning, and George repeatedly asked him, is this discrimination against Hoosiers, people in your state, LGBTQ people in your state? And of course, the answer is unequivocally, well, no, it's not. No, absolutely not. But he couldn't say it because I think he actually knew that it totally was going to have that effect in the Hoosier state. Um, and so he's like, well, George, you know, and he, he kind of just him hawed and, you know, beat around the bush. But uh, then people saw that interview and they're like, that's it. You'd say no more. This is exactly what this is about. It's about discriminating against LGBTQ Hoosiers. And then, and then we organized a uh, protest that brought, I would say, probably about 2,000 people down to the state statehouse. Um, uh, Christina was a part of that protest. You know, she uh, spoke. She was then a state representative um, at that time, uh, and she spoke in favor of supporting LGBTQ Hoosiers. Uh, so that was 2015 when that happened. And then um, shortly thereafter was uh, in 2018, um, we passed a, a watered-down uh, hate crimes bill. No, excuse me, that would be 2019, because that was my first year in the Senate. Um, and it left out gender, gender identity, and age. And so as, as Governor Holcomb kind of goes around Indiana and says, oh, hey, we have a hate crimes bill, we truly do not. Um, and, then, uh, and then this year, we specifically targeted... Uh, trans kids by saying that they cannot, can, girls cannot, can, trans girls cannot compete with girls. And, um, and we passed that uh, bill overwhelmingly. Um, thankfully, to Governor Holcomb's credit, he did veto that bill. Um, okay, because that did pass, correct? It, that did, was... it did pass, yep. Um, and then okay. uh, Governor Holcomb vetoed it. Now, in the legislature, we just need a simple majority to override the veto, which I think is kind of BS um, because it, it's like it doesn't. It could just be one vote, vote then. Yeah. It's just like you should have to work for a veto override. Right. It shouldn't be yeah. a simple majority and one. Um, so we actually came back to, to kind of a special session day and overrode uh, the veto. And then as soon as um, that happened, the ACLU immediately sued. And so it's now in federal court uh, to try and figure out what's going on with that. So uh, sorry for that long answer, Colleen, but I just wanted to kind of paint the picture of as to why people might think Indiana is kind of a backward state when it comes to L LGBTQ rights. And it's because at every single turn, our legislature has actively picked on uh, LGBTQ Hoosiers, um, specifically gone after them. And so you can kind of see this push-pull relationship that we have. But does that reflect that I don't feel like that reflects Hoosiers like sensibilities I don't, or, or their values? No, I don't think so either. Um, I think that, you know, uh, the last round of redistricting, uh, well, let's be honest, like the last round of gerrymandering right. that happened in our state um, has uh, continued to push us farther and farther and farther to the right. So so they're not answering to everyday Hoosiers, right? So that's interesting. I was listening. So I was doing research because every once in a while I do my homework, um, uh, doing my research on all of the LGBTQ issues, because, again, Janice and I had mentioned, you know, this this wasn't consistent. Well, I mean, I grew up a long time ago and attitudes just in general were probably not good when I grew up, but um, but not it. it there was stuff that just didn't seem right politically. Um, and so I was reading about Goshen sort of being the birthplace of all of this. And I was, I was reading, they were quoting people in Goshen who were talking about being afraid of people deciding their gender one day and then going into a woman's bathroom and like abusing children and women, which there's so many problems with that logic. I don't even know where to begin. But 
But but what's crazy is I'm not hearing people argue against that logic. I'm hearing people say that's nuts, but I'm not having them. I'm not hearing the arguments that say, well, here's why that's an inaccurate, distorted thought and then breaking it down. So, you know, if that's continually perpetuated in the state, obviously that goes to speak to the reputation and our difficulty with defending it. So what is happening? Like who are, how are we dismantling these attitudes and are there people in the state? I mean, like how does Indiana fall with people who support rights for LGBTQ plus or people who don't? Yes, I think that's the, that's, to be honest with you, that's kind of been what my service uh, to the Senate has been about, you know, serving obviously the people of District 29, but also calling out the hypocrisy, you know, when I see it and kind of pushing back on, you know, some of this narratives and, you know, um, and all you have to do is just pay attention to some of our state Senate sessions and watch some of these folks come to testify. I mean, the abortion bill, you were, would be just appalled to watch some of the testimony. Um, we had a CRT bill uh, come through that we defeated uh, this session. And I mean, people were up there just saying some ludicrous things. I mean, one woman said, all gay people wear tails and ears, referring to people who are the furries, right? Um, which, uh, no offense to my furry friends, I would not be caught dead <laughs> wearing right. that. You're like, that's uh, very specific. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I just like, I had to push back. I was like, excuse me, <laughs> wait a second, time out here. Um, what? And I said, am I wearing tails and ears? And this woman says, well, no. I said, because not all gay people wear tails and ears. So let me just help you and get that out of your mind. Like, but to your point, Colleen, yes, we have to push back on some of this stuff. And I think sometimes people are like, this is so made up. It's so laughable. It's just not true. But these people then go back to their circles and, and say it as if it was it's the like truth. It's true. That's yeah. the thing. It, it's, God, but nobody's I, saying like, you know, this is like, and also you know nothing about furries. That's a question. Right. But like, if you don't know something about it, who is telling you? And then why are you believing it and spreading it? Like, and I yeah, don't have any, with furries. I mean, I don't have any hard data on furries. Yeah, exactly. But, but I'm pretty sure there's equal, uh, straight. Exactly. All of the spectrum and home of like, gender identifications, like, of course. Yes. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to equal opportunity. That's exactly, exactly. Right. Yes. But I love it. That's what she picked on. Like this is, yeah. this is the crucial issue is whether you're like a squirrel or a tiger. Okay. Yeah. But honestly, like, you know, our, our, our critical thinking skills are not where they used to be. Right. You know, and people are just sharing articles without reading it and thinking like, Oh, okay. I, believe some of this in the article, but I also disagree with some of this. Like, you know, people need to look at articles and videos and find another source to validate it or invalidate it. Right. Um, and that's just not happening these days. So if we had to look at, you know, general population of Indiana, would you say that there are as many people who support rights for everybody? Or would you say it really is a, a state populated by people who are predominantly occupied and working against LGBTQ plus rights? That's a good question. I, I really do think that, you know, we're seeing public opinion to LGBTQ folks move very quickly, very rapidly. I think the last number I saw, 60% uh, of Americans uh, support uh, LGBTQ same-sex marriage, um, and that number continues to rise. And I think, honestly, as, as more and more people interact with people in the community who have a nephew, a daughter, you know, whoever, um, you know, that support will continue. I, I, I think that, you know, they're targeting trans folks because that's the new boogeyman, right? That's the new, because they don't understand it. They don't know people. And it's like, but wait a second, you do have constituents who are trans folks. 
So just stop for a moment and put yourself in their shoes that, you know, they don't want the, you know, the spotlight on them because they're already nervous uh, about violence and other things. Um, so just, just kind of like put yourself in their shoes and understand that, you know, they're going through some things and, you know, you're just making it worse as their legislator. Right. So, um, so I think as, as we interact more um, with my colleagues, again, which is why my job is so important because visibility matters and representation matters. Um, I'm able to go to these uh, other senators or other representatives offices and sit down with them as a colleague and say, well, wait a second, I am taxed just like you are. I put my pants on just like you do. Um, what makes us different? Because of, because of who I love? Well, that's not fair. And so I'm able to have these like hard, difficult, but necessary conversations. Um, and more importantly, um, if you visit my office at the Capitol, I it's all covered in rainbows. <laughs> and I do that because it's from kids all across our state who send me notes that say, um, you know, thank you so much. Thanks for being who you are. Thank you for representing me, even though my person doesn't represent me. Um, and it's a it's a constant reminder for me that there's so much more work to do, right? But I also put it on my office door for my colleagues to see because I want them to know that not everybody in our state is a cisgender white person, male dude, right? There's other people in our state who look differently than you do, who pray differently than you do, who love differently than you do. So let's let's think about that. I thought these last round of, well, hopefully the only round, but obviously there was that like fast and furious of these anti-trans bills all over the country. And it just seemed like, I don't know if people were just trying to follow Florida or like, it just seemed like all of a sudden, like when one started, it was like this domino effect. And for me, really, it just seems so mean to children. It seemed like yes. bullying. Like, so if you, if you take all the gender and any kind of, you know, sexual overtones out of it, it just seemed like you were being mean to kids. And that to me is like unforgivable. Like, I don't know. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. It's still like infuriates me. Like, yeah. You know, like Texas and like, you know, trying to ban, like you can't even talk to your doctor. Wait, what? Like now yeah. you're telling people how to parent their kids. I thought, Republicans believed in no interference, government interference. So, I mean, obviously, this party that we thought we knew that, you know, I didn't always agree with, obviously, um, but I kind of thought that it was a little bit more reasonable. I just feel like it's gone off the deep end. Absolutely. So, so are there any... Are there any Republicans turned off our podcast, Colleen? I know. And (laughs) I... That's fine. But are there any? Are there any who... There's got to be a few. There's got to be somebody... I represent a district that's urban suburban um, and it's, it's one of the highest educational attainments in the state. You know, there are moderate Republicans, if you will. Um, and, you know, they are the folks that will do their research. You know, they'll look at both of the candidates and say, okay, who do I jive with? Right. Um, and, and a lot of those folks vote for me because they are like JD you know, you're one of 11 members, Senate Democratic members in the General Assembly out of 50. So 11 Dems, 39 Republicans, uh, a little lopsided. And so they, they, they will openly say, I'm Republican, but my party has left me and I'm going to continue to vote for you because you call them out and you provide balance and, you know, you are, um, you know, you represent me, right? And so, uh, so yeah, there are those Republicans um, that you know are just holding on to their party for as much as they can, but they're also recognizing that their party is now the party of Trump and the party of QAnon and and everything else that is coming is going along with it. So that is really what it looks like right now. So that that's I I feel really out of touch. Okay, so I'm like sad to hear that. <laughs> that's that's what I see. Just here. sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if that's, you know, elsewhere, but that's what I see here, that there are folks kind of in that exhausted middle who are, you know, left without something. Well, that's what I'm thinking, too. Then then the people in the middle feel like, oh, our party's gone so right, but they still don't feel like they're a Democrat. They kind of become apathetic, which is almost worse, because then you become completely uninvolved. Maybe you stop voting, you stop caring. And I think that's even more scary, right? When you 
you know, feel like, oh, nobody's for me. I don't agree with this guy, but now I'm just going to stay out of it. And we're like, no, we need you. <laughs> yeah. And Denise, so, yeah. conversely, on the other side, Democrats, because we're in such gerrymandered districts, also feel that way. I don't want to go out and vote because I don't have anybody to vote for or my vote doesn't matter. And so that's why we are actually 42nd in the nation for, you know, voter turnout. We're just, we're just terrible because on both sides, people are feeling disingenuous. So it's so interesting. I, you know, I, I mean, my political affiliations really mean nothing, but uh, as somebody who does a research and wants to understand what issues there are out there um, and what, who is standing by what, I'm going to vote for the candidate who is going to align more with what I think is best for my community and not even necessarily what's best for me, but what's best for my community. Because sometimes there are a few things that I don't agree with about my community, but it's what's, it's what's best for us as a yeah. collective group. Um, but it is frustrating. Like I have, there have been moments where I'm like, why am I even bothering? Hmm. Why do I even bother going? And I bother because so many people have fought for my right to vote. Exactly. And so I don't ever want to take it for granted. Yeah. Um, which is why I show up, but nobody really needed to hear that, but I felt like I needed to say it. Um, anyway, so just go we out. We need to hear it, Kylie. We need just to hear go, it. Cause there's people here like, yeah, go out and vote. Just vote, vote for who yeah. you think is best. Even if it's not, even if you don't think the guy is going to win, vote for what you think is best for you and your community. Anywho. Um, and if you're in JD's. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. Exactly. <laughs> Cause he's going to do right by you. Anyway, I'm look at me. I'm doing stuff. I'm feeling like I'm going to get hate mail. Nobody. Knows <laughs> um, Definitely so, not from your brother. Cause even her own brother doesn't listen to our podcast. Yeah. So yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so let me bring this back on the rails. Um, so I think what a lot of people don't understand what I learned today when I was reading up on everything is that uh, there was a, there was a backlash that happened with um, the RFRA, right? That's Which is right. Religious Freedom Restoration Act, right? Correct, yes. Okay, wow, that's like some big, big stuff all slammed together. <laughs> it's confusing. Okay, yes. so so from what I was reading, and I'm sure you can provide more insight, um, it was like, a. it sounded like it was a whiplash and, and it was largely... Um, because of the business community finally threw their power behind it. That's right. And within, am I, am I wrong? Within like 48 hours there, it there was, was talk about negotiating this. Yeah, it, it was so quick. I mean, I, I think it, the bill was signed Thursday or Friday. Um, Pence, I think did his interview on Sunday. Um, the national meet, no, the world media was here. I mean, I, I know that I've, had friends that talked to Al Jazeera and other news outlets. Um, I mean, it was a quick descent upon Indianapolis, uh, ground zero for this, you know, for this bill. And um, and I remember that that week was nothing but just media just hitting hard. Um, and the Indianapolis Star actually took out a full front page ad that said, "Fix this now," <laughs> like. Get it together. Um, And that that was unprecedented. Never seen that before. Um, And the fix was that, okay, we'll let this pass, but individual cities and towns can pass their own human rights ordinance, uh, which then I was able to testify in front of my um, city uh, council to say why this was so important to me. But yeah, you I mean we had governors of other states banning travel of their state employees to Indiana because we were seen as a hateful state. Uh, Gen Con, which is our largest convention, um, who comes to, I mean, the two hour radius of hotels are booked up when Gen Con is in town because that's how many people come to this convention. They were like, nope, we're done. Uh, if this continues, if you don't fix it, uh, we had musical artists not coming to Indiana to play in the venues. Um, you know, we had the national media here that was continuing to keep just putting a spotlight on this and it was very intense. And I, again, I still think we're dealing from that PR nightmare. Um, I think the bills are paid because they had to hire, you know, the PR firms to get us out, but the damage, the reputation, uh, is still, I think we're, we're, we're still dealing from that. 
Yeah. It, Janice and I have referenced this a few times, but we did, um, when we started the podcast, we did a little crowdsourcing, give us top three things you think of when you think of Indiana. And we were shocked to see how many of them were that Indiana was anti LGBTQ. Right? Wow. People are still holding that opinion. Jeez. And, and JD, what do you think about, um, I didn't know if you knew if there was there any other kind of incidents that happened in Indiana that kind of led up to that. Yeah. I mean, there, I think there was like a pizza place that, you know, wasn't going to bake pizzas or, you know, there were some restaurants that, you know, were, were not, were very vocal about not serving. So they, so there was actually a campaign that had a sticker uh, that, that restaurants were putting stickers on the outside of their business that says, open for all, or we welcome all or whatever the case may be. And so that way it was an automatic, you know, it was an automatic sign like, okay, this place is, is friendly. And again, this was, you know, 2015 when this was happening. And so we're just like, why, why do we have to do this? You know? Right. Um, But, but it was necessary because I mean, as, as a gay person, I don't want to sit, you know, in a, in a restaurant with my partner and, you know, not be served. I mean, how embarrassing is that? Right. Um, and then have to make a scene about it. <laughs> um, right. you know, and I, I, I failed to mention too, uh, in 2014, um, the state was actively trying to put the definition of marriage uh, as one man, one woman into the state constitution. Um, and so we, we were able to successfully defeat that. There was a, a coalition that came together, Colleen, that you mentioned, big businesses, they were part of that coalition. Um, uh, and thankfully we were able to beat that, but I mean, again, this kind of falls into this narrative of us being anti-LGBTQ, you know, this puts the spotlight on state legislators and and the role that we play in so much of an important light. Um, you know, it's fun to watch, you know, the presidential stuff, but it's, it's your town council people, it's your state legislators who make these decisions. Um, you know, going back to the gerrymandering, you know, those numbers um, dictate where hospitals go, where post offices go, who represents you at the federal level, at the state level, um, you know. And so I think people are just kind of always been trapped in this. Well, someone else will do it. Someone else will knock those doors. Someone else will make those phone calls. Someone else will, you know, write those checks to the be a donor to those politicians, you know. But but what I always tell people is that no, your contribution helps me buy water for my volunteers when they're out knocking doors on a 95 degree day, right? Um, it helps me buy and print, you know, literature that I can leave on someone's door to let them know that like, this is the Indiana that I want to sell to you per se, right? Um, you know, that's the type of stuff that, you know, what I think we can do right now. What can people do to support the rights that are still being protected um, for LGBTQ folks? Yeah, you know, I think you find find an organization that you align with um, and give your money to that. Um, and and what I always like to say is is the three T's: the time, the treasure, and the talent. Not everybody has the time to go down to the state house and to testify before a committee or you know whatever. I totally get that. People are busy. They got kids. They got a life. But maybe perhaps that tea isn't for you, but maybe you could give your treasure. Maybe you could give 25 bucks or 50 bucks to an abortion fund or an LGBTQ rights organization or to a candidate that you align with. Um, uh, if you can, if you don't got the money to do that, well, perhaps maybe you could do, you know, talent. Could Are you a graphic designer by trade? Would you be willing to help design a flyer for a candidate or whatever. So I always ask people to do the the three T's, the time, the treasure, and the talent in some capacity, because I feel like, and, I, and, I, and we know that politics is not a spectator sport, right? You have to get off the bench. You have to get into this game and help in some capacity, right? Um, and so that's what I think people can do in the immediate time to, to help in some way. Time, treasure, talent. That is um, perfect. The three T's. I love it. Actionable goals. Um, Okay. I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody who's on Defending Indiana. What's your favorite favorite thing about the state? I, one of the things I just love about Indiana is that 
you know, it's it's the farmers markets on Saturday mornings. Yeah, you know, you just you bump into your neighbors, you pick up your produce, um, you pick up your apple cider donuts. Um, I just and as as an elected official, um, I love being in the community and and just bumping into people. Um, this this past Saturday I was at uh, one of our farmers markets, um, and so many people stopped me and just said, "Thank you for your service. Thank you for your vote." Um, and so uh, I, I just love that, you know, we're just good, wholesome people in Indiana. Yeah, I think we agree. Um, if you could change one thing about the state, what would you change? The legislature. Fair enough. I would change the people in there in the sense that uh, or at least change the mentality, not necessarily people, because I have some amazing colleagues um, and some some people who work very hard for their constituents. But I do wish that they would change maybe the philosophy or the mentality um, of, of serving the people. Um, I'm in a district that is a swing district. And so uh, it forces me to be in the community. Um, it forces me to call people back, email them back. A lot of my colleagues in gerrymandered districts on both sides of the aisle, quite frankly, don't have to do that because they don't have to worry about you know, that they're safe as long as they put their name on the ballot. So my, my hope is that, you know, um, we go back to what we do and that's serve the people. Okay. Well, JD, it has been a true pleasure speaking with you and thank you so much for providing some more context to help us understand and anecdotes that help us understand really what's going on in the state house. Um, to give us a better picture of, of what's going on and, and how you're working to protect rights of the people who live in the state of Indiana. So Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me and happy to come back and chat. We would love to have you back. Thanks okay. again. Defending Indiana, featuring Colleen Brennan and Janice Rodriguez, is produced by Colleen Brennan and Janice Rodriguez. Theme music and sound editing by Michael Miltenberger. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, you can subscribe to Defending Indiana wherever you find your favorite podcasts.